1: And there are some simple ways to look at equity and inclusion in an organization. Equity, for example, we say, look at three things. One, are there individuals who are being treated preferentially? You know, like the rules don't apply to them. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what they do. They may not uh, perform well. They don't get the, 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 the same focus and they're not uh, uh, given a, a, a tough evaluation. And, you know, they're always preferred.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: is their preference. Secondly, the processes. Are the processes there? For example, the HR processes, uh, are they such that, you know, one could rely on those processes to address their situation? And the third is the prospect. Namely, is there a relationship between the individual's performance, and their prospect of being recognized and advanced in the organization.
0: Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jennifer George, and I'm joining you today with Dr. Frank Douglas. Frank is the CEO of Safe Haven Dialogues, which is an organization that empowers individuals to become agents of change against systemic discrimination. Frank also holds his PhD in physical chemistry and his medical degree from Cornell University. In this episode, we chat about a reframed methodology for handling the stress impacts of discrimination in the workplace. The methodology includes equity, inclusion and individual engagement, E-I-I-E. This was a great conversation. I really think you're going to get a lot of value from this and it's something that you can also take away with you to your workplace and become more aware and also practice. So grab your drink of choice. You don't want to miss this conversation and join us. Hi, Frank, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, how are you, Jennifer? Thanks for the invitation.
0: Thank you for being here and accepting. Um, I've been looking to have this conversation with someone on equity, diversity, and inclusion and your evolution of that as well. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to chat with you is because I just appreciate your perspective on stress in the workplace and how it's all connected to inclusiveness and discrimination and having a conversation around this. So thank you for being here.
1: Yes, and I appreciate your sensitivity to the issue.
0: Yeah. Can you first tell us um, about yourself? Like what have you not done? (laughs) <laughs> when I read your bio I'm like there's, there's nothing this person has not done <laughs> so I want you to tell us what you want us to know about you because <laughs> uh it's quite amazing to me so
1: thank yeah. you well I was born in Georgetown British Guiana now Guyana of course came to America at age 20 on a Fulbright scholarship as an undergraduate uh and uh, did my uh bachelor's degree in engineering at lehigh university then went on to cornell and did both a phd in physical chemistry and an md and later trained in internal medicine at uh, hopkins and at the national institute of health where i also did a fellowship i have been both an academician as well as been in industry the larger part of my life actually was in the pharmaceutical industry Uh, where in spite of uh, challenges of discrimination, I actually became the uh, first Black to be on the board of management of a top five global pharmaceutical company, where I was responsible for global research development and regulatory affairs, and uh, also had the wonderful opportunity of leading scientists who brought uh, to market, who innovated, developed, brought to market more than 25 drugs, uh, including drugs for uh, cancer, hypertension, tuberculosis, osteoporosis, etc. Uh, I also spent uh, time in academia at MIT, as well as at the University uh, of Akron, uh, where I actually uh, led and uh, uh, introduced uh, uh, a number of approaches, Led an institute that brought together the three hospitals in Akron, uh, the University of Akron, and the medical school, to basically take advantage of the tremendous strength in polymer science and engineering at the University of Akron to find solutions uh, for several tissue uh, related uh, diseases.
0: Wow. So, how did you evolve from basically working in physical medicine, essentially, as well as engineering and bioengineering, perhaps, pharmaceuticals, to now um, stepping into discrimination, equity, diversity, and inclusion. How did you evolve from there to here where you are today?
1: Well, uh, Two things, actually. About five years ago, uh, as I told, <laughs> I tell people in my third retirement, <laughs> I I, I started to write my memoirs more as a, uh, to silence a cousin of mine who for many years would say to me, you know, if people only knew how you grew up in Guyana, uh, they will be astounded to to see uh, the leadership that you have on a global scale. And as I was writing my memoir, something struck me. And uh, if I might tell you the the story that struck me, because it is related to what I do now. For sure. Uh, When I completed my PhD, I was hired by Xerox. And uh, for three months, I could not get a meaningful project. And one day, a white young man joined the group. And within a week, he was placed on the hottest project we had in research and development at Xerox at the time. Wow. So I went to my manager to have another discussion. And uh, I finally said to him, look, Steve, don't think of me as though I'm Frank. Think of me as though I'm Bob. Mm-hmm. And I was just stunned to see the uh, the recognition, you know, come across his face. As he said to me, in a very knowing way, he said, you know, Bob has only been here a week and I've already put him on the Artery Project. Well, I was furious.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I made it out of his office, went down to the office of the senior vice president to give him yet another example of where I was being discriminated against. Now, about two or three years later, I thought about that incident and realized I had missed two things. One was that this senior vice president had hired three young black PhDs that summer to join the one black PhD that Xerox had at the time so it probably was more important to him that frank douglas would do well mm-hmm. <laughs> than it might have be been important to frank douglas himself the second thing was that i really was not terribly interested in the senior vice president having tough words with my boss i wanted a good project right. that was the outcome i wanted so had i reframed and had i said to the senior vice president you know dr tripis could you help my manager find me a good project? I might have retired at Xerox wow. because that was certainly within his sphere of influence. He was yeah. two, three levels above my boss, and he walked into my boss's office and said, "Look, find a man a good project."
0: <laughs> it yeah, would have been done. Wow. <laughs>
1: well, as I was writing my memoirs and, and I told you know that story and my recognition of the error I made, it suddenly. Occurred to me that as a matter of fact, the way I had dealt with problems is that I was reframing. And mm-hmm. so I had learned from that. So that was one aspect. The second aspect was sitting looking at the George Floyd incident and looking at the, you know, the onlookers on the side doing their darndest to try to get Sharman to take his knee off of George Floyd's neck to no avail. Mm -hmm. But the reality is there was one individual who was suffering and, as a matter of fact, dying that day. And that struck me that during my time, both in industry and academia, whenever there was a discrimination problem, there was always an aggrieved individual. Mm -hmm. And although, I mean, and we've done uh, a lot, you know, with uh, diversity, equity, inclusion type programs we focus on trying to get the environment to become sensitized to understand about microaggressions etc and we don't do much for the individual yes and i asked myself you know had had george floyd learned some skills would the outcome have been different would he have handled himself differently Mm-hmm. So I brought those two things together and immediately formed a group, which I call Safe Haven Dialogues, to really focus on empowering individuals to understand the issues in their organization, to be clear about the outcome which they would like, and then to take them through a process that enable them to find a better problem to solve Mm -hmm. which problem would not only get them to their desired outcome, but also would be of benefit to their workmates and to the work unit.
0: So you're really empowering the individual, essentially. The
1: focus is to empower the individual.
0: Correct. Okay. You're right, though. Like, I'm just reflecting on all of the work that's being done and all of the organizations that are expressing and making equity diversity and inclusion a part of you know their their values and and everything of that nature but you're right it's done at an you know um a global level it's not really um, educated upon but it's more done from like kind of admin down in a way right and um you know maybe programs are being done workshops webinars but i think like you said We're not really focusing on the individual themselves as well. And everybody's needs are going to be different. Everybody's um barriers are going to be different as well, right? We don't really know what necessarily somebody is going through or what they're experiencing unless we give them an opportunity to share that. Absolutely. Am I getting it? Okay. No, No,
1: no, you have it, you have it perfectly. Yeah. Unless we give them an opportunity to share what they feel, and unless we get an understanding of how the systems or lack thereof Mm -hmm. uh, in the organization, how they are contributing to how that person feels, unless you do those two things, unless you are able to walk in the shoes of that individual, not much learning actually occurs. So true. There might be empathy but really not much learning uh, <laughs> occurs. So that's the one aspect. The second aspect is to have the individual not feel like a victim
0: mm-hmm.
1: but to the individual for the individual to understand that there are opportunities here where they one become empowered to express what is going on and the two where they can, as a matter of fact have a dialogue, which dialogue talks about? I may be suffering from this, but as a matter of fact, there may be others who are suffering from this. And if we were to address this particular aspect, it would improve productivity, not only for myself, but also for the unit. And the third aspect of it is we look at the issues around inclusion and the issues around equity in the organization as it is affecting that individual and when you do that again as look as as you observe a specific case you learn more about the problems in the organization with respect to equity and inclusion mm-hmm. so you really get an opportunity to walk walk within uh, in the shoes of the individual
0: wow i i it totally makes sense to me but it's not it's a very different way from the way I've seen it, right? Like, um, just the perspective that you're sharing. And one thing I did notice when you shared your story is, that's one thing I totally connected with was that you didn't see yourself as a victim. As you as you were sharing the story, which I said, and then you mentioning that just validated my understanding of that. So the evolution that Safe Havens Dialogues has done with equity, diversity and inclusion is now it's Equity, Inclusion, and Individual Engagement. Yes. Given- okay. So can you tell me why diversity was taken out of that <laughs> acronym? Yeah. Can you elaborate a little bit more on, on the principle?
1: Yeah. There, there, there are a couple of reasons. Yeah. One, uh, we are looking at individuals who are there in the situation. So diversity has already been taken care of. They're there.
0: That's what I figured. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah
1: and the you know so the issue is not the diversity part per se because diversity got us in the door
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: unfortunately the other reason why we do not look at diversity is that is that diversity although it was a good way to identify you know, marginalized individuals be there, women be they marginalized because of ethnicity, you know, uh, because of, uh, of gender, because of sexual orientation, age. It's easy to count for that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: However, that's a metric. The real issue is: is that individual being recognized for the contributions they're being? That they're making? Is that individual being rewarded? Is that individual being included? Mm-hmm. Is that individual being treated fairly? Is that individual being given an opportunity to advance in the organization? Yeah. And those are the key issues. Now, so we dropped off diversity, simply saying, okay, you know, we're, we're here. Let's deal with what the real issues are. And there are some simple ways to look at equity and inclusion in an organization equity for example we said look at three things one are there individuals who are being treated preferentially you know like the rules don't apply to them it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what they do they may not uh, perform well they don't get the same um they don't get the the the,
0: the,
1: the, the same um uh, uh, focus, and uh, they're not uh, uh, given a, a, a tough evaluation, and, uh, you know, they're always preferred. Mm-hmm. So it's their preference. Secondly, the processes. Are the processes there? For example, the HR processes, uh, are they such that, you know, one could rely on those processes to address their situation? And the third is the prospect, namely, is there a relationship between the individual's performance and their prospect of being recognized and advanced in the organization? So three simple ways of looking at equity in an organization. Inclusion, it is sometimes difficult, but if you look at the opposite side, exclusion, people know when they have been excluded. Mm. So we look at exclusion and we look at the microaggressions, insults microinsults, microinvalidations. Mm. Again, three dimensions. And you ask those simple questions. You know, is, is someone, you know, being insulted? Yeah. Is someone's ethnicity, is, is, are they being stereotyped, in, you know, being insulted, micro microinsult? Is someone... You know, not being treated consistent with their achievements, uh, with um, uh, what, uh, with the level where they are, are they being passed over, et cetera, the micro-invalidations? Are they being ignored when they're in a meeting and uh, they raise their hand, you know, to, uh, to offer uh, suggestions based on their expertise, etc.? micro-invalidations? So we have these three dimensions in each to look at. The other thing which we actually do, there are two things, is that when an individual comes to us, we have them uh, fill out a very simple form, and we ask them to respond in brief sentences or phrases, because what we want to do is to take away the emotion. Mm. So we ask, okay, What is the outcome you would like? One or two sentences. Tell us the environment that you're in. Again, in bullet form sentences. Tell us the situation that you have. And then in a sentence or two, what do you think the problem is? So that's the one part. Mm -hmm. The other part, we have a panel whom we call our VIPs, victors in overcoming (laughs) injustice in their professions. These are individuals Mm who... Uh, you know, dealt with discrimination, yeah. etc., And uh, they're the ones who listen to the case and they look for the aspects that affect inclusion, the microaggressions that affect equity, preference, prospects, processes. Mm-hmm. And once we have that, we actually put together a matrix, what we call our equity inclusion culture matrix, because the typical two by two matrix and when you do that, you can you get four quadrants, and you can clearly describe the culture in an organization. If you have a culture where equity is high, and by culture we mean what an individual is experiencing, right? Because you know you may go to the website and the company and may describe you know right, beautiful, but an individual, <laughs> yes, is not experiencing that. Yeah. So for that individual, okay, is the experience of high equity, high inclusion.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
1: a safe, a psychologically safe environment. That individual is engaged and motivated. So we're coming to uh, your, your question, why yeah. that? Right. If we go diagonally uh, down to the left, where equity is low and inclusion is low, that's a psychologically toxic environment. Individuals are distressed. Many of them leave the organization. Mm -hmm. So you can define these four uh, 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 cultures. Now, the the real, I would say, for me, the the real fascinating thing is is that for over 30 years, Gallup has been studying uh, literally hundreds of thousands of workers in several countries, several industries etc and has identified that for those companies where the individuals were very motivated where employee engagement was in the top quartile they had 23% greater productivity profitability than those that were in the bottom quartile, and he's done this across several uh, industries, countries, etc. Wow! So what we have simply said is, in any organization, equity and inclusion they define the culture, they define the experience the individual is going to have, and the way to measure it is not by the number of different-looking people or different right. <laughs> history. Yeah, is by the number of people who are individually engaged. Wow! And so we talk about EIIE, namely equity, inclusion, and individual engagement.
0: I love that, and you just you described it so beautifully in a way that I could completely understand. So, how do people can connect with uh, your work? Like at what level is it the individual or the organization who reaches out to you? Could it, you know, could I myself just say, you know, could I reach out to Safe Haven or to you directly um, and say that, you know, I'd like this to be further looked at or examined um, so that I feel more included, so that I feel like I'm being treated fairly, like, or is it usually organizations that take this, this project on and take a closer look?
1: Yeah, uh, both actually. Okay. Uh, you know, we've we've just begun uh, really d- detailed marketing. You know, we've been describing et cetera. We've just begun marketing, uh, and we're marketing to uh, individuals.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We also are marketing it to organizations because what we're saying to organizations, if indeed, as many organizations say, you know, our employees are our number one asset. Okay,
0: if right. that
1: is true, <laughs> okay. Well, then, should you not offer something like this, where when an individual says, you know, I've been to HR, I've talked with my manager, etc." I still don't feel like I'm being heard, which is one of the things for us, it's very important, mm-hmm. I still don't feel I'm being heard, to offer them this program, one. The second is we can train members of the organization to be the VIPs.
0: That's what I was going to ask, because I can't because when I just look, even even if I'm just browsing, right, like through job postings, things like that, when I just see what's out there, because I'm always just curious about stuff, you know, you see positions posted for, um, you know, somebody who's you know, equity, diversity and inclusiveness, like that's a position for one person. (laughs) And is it really the like, how can one person themselves do all of this, right? I really do think it takes the whole team to be aware and to take on this issue. uh, And to keep us mindful and aware. And um, yeah, just be aware of how we are interacting with one another and, and supporting one another and putting all that into actual practice. One of
1: the things that, uh, you know, fortunately for me, is that when I uh, joined industry, I joined as a mid-level manager and rose all the way up to the Mm -hmm. C-suite. So I knew what it was to be a a director at that level, and I also knew what it was uh, to be on the board of management. And um, I began to, to, to realize as I reflected on what's, you know, happening, is that the leaders are responsible for equity for setting the rules the regulations for telling us you know who's on first who's on second where are the guardrails this is how we expect you to uh, you know this is how we expect the organization to function that's the role of the leaders the role of the first line supervisors first line managers and work units they're responsible for inclusion. Mm. They're the ones responsible for behaviors which Mm. acknowledge each other, behaviors which include, behaviors which say you belong, behaviors which say we value your input, Mm. behaviors which recognize your contribution. So inclusion happens at the work unit. Now, when those two are not supporting each other and reinforce, that's when we end up having, you know, these unsafe situations, you know, uh, toxic cultures, etc. Mm-hmm. So when we look at the situation, we try to understand for a particular individual, where are the points of influence? Is it along the equity axis? Mm-hmm. Is that where they would have an opportunity to find a better problem to solve? Or is it along the inclusion axis? And so we have, in a way, a, a, both a visual, but in a systematic way for that individual to get the ahas.
0: Yes. Right, yeah. And I'm getting that as I'm chatting with you and you're explaining it to me. It makes so much sense. Like, it really does. And okay. no one's ever explained it to me like that, though, um, in terms of equity and inclusiveness and you know, when you explained it the way you did based on leadership and, and frontline management and supervisors, that made makes a lot more sense. And if those are out of alignment or out of integrity, that's where you yeah. see the lack of safety there. Just reading behind you the, the title of one of your books, Addressing yes. Systemic Discrimination by Reframing the Problem. Yes, yes this is a very fascinating title to me. So can you tell me, and I know you've been talking about this with me right now, yes. but reframing the problem, that that kind of sticks out to me. So can you tell me more about that? Okay. What you mean by it?
1: Yes. Uh, the example I gave at the beginning of my experience in Xerox right. uh, is an example of reframing. Namely, the problem. Of, yes, the problem. Instead okay. of focusing on uh which is what i was focusing on is that i was not getting a good job because i was black right that's yeah the, okay that's the the problem that, i was focusing on
0: and that was the problem though right
1: it, it was a problem
0: yeah it was a problem okay but it was
1: not the better problem to solve to get to the outcome i want the, the outcome right. i wanted was to get on a good project
0: yeah and this yeah. is where you're tying this all together for me now. So this yes. is great.
1: And had I gotten a good project, guess what would have happened? I would have felt better about, you know, I would not have felt I was being discriminated against, or I might still recognize I was being discriminated against, but I'm on a good project. So mm. at least that part has been taken care of. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So being clear about the outcome was important and finding a better problem to solve to get me to that outcome. That's the reframing part. Okay. Oh, yep. I'll give you not. In fact, what the book um, does, the book outlines the equity inclusion, what we've been discussing. The book outlines the reframing process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first uh, uh, part, uh, two chapters, one each to the the, the two topics. Uh, one, equity inclusion, why that's important, why we move to EIIE, and the second, the reframing process and how you come up with a better problem to solve and use that to reframe your, your, your problem so that you can have a productive uh, dialogue uh, with your with your manager and the solution. The rest of the book are interviews which we did with individuals cutting across. There were three physicians, actually, and one nurse. There were individuals working in government offices, individuals in large corporations, etc., cetera, small corporations. So there were 18 of these interviews, uh, and we took them through the, the process. They filled out the uh, the intake form, as we call call mm-hmm. it, very briefly. Once we did the interview with them, we sent the form back to them for them to verify that indeed, you know, what we recorded represented what they said. They made changes, etc. Uh, and then our VIPs uh, then went through the case, looking at microaggressions, looking at the equity issues, processes, privilege, uh, prospects, mm-hmm. et cetera, did the matrix, and then went through the process of trying to find a better problem to, to solve and, and and then to reframe. I'll give you uh, one example, actually which we use as a teaching case. Because that's the one case which is not an individual; it's actually two different uh, individuals, and brought them together because it allowed us to 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 demonstrate more things. Right? uh, Yeah. Doing that, Uh, but this was a a a situation. One of these individuals, and as I said, we combined two things. But let's pretend it was one individual uh, who was of Moroccan descent, worked for the small company for about twenty years. During that time, he actually. Uh, got his master's, in fact, got two master's, one of which was in project management, was treated badly, no stereotypical name-calling, et cetera. He complained about it, nothing doing. But he applied for a job and was passed over. An external person was brought in. And then he was asked to help this individual with project management. And and we actually found about three or four such cases in different areas with that. And his outcome, you know, he had things like he wanted this company to have no tolerance for discrimination, you know. know. And so we discussed that. And one of the things we simply said, what's a point of influence? One of the things we look at. One, on the equity axis, Clearly, the CEO and the senior managers, you know, JA, we call them. JA had complained, you know, gotten no help from them. Mm-hmm. So not much is going to happen on the equity axis. HR has not been helpful, nothing will happen on the equity axis. Now, how about on the inclusion axis? Mm-hmm. What is a point of inference? And what we identified is the following. He had suffered a severe micro-invalidation in that he was passed over and then was asked to use the expertise he had to help this external who was brought in. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things he wanted was to be recognized for his expertise. Well, he was being recognized for his expertise wasn't the way he wanted to be. Right. He was actually being recognized for his expertise. So that mm-hmm. was his point of influence.
0: Right. So okay. then we
1: began to think about, well, how could he actually exploit that?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, what if he went to the manager and instead of complaining that he's been passed over, and the manager knows he's been passed over, what if he went to the manager and said, you know, since you've asked me to, help, you know, let's call them X. Mm -hmm. I would like to run some sessions after work for anyone who would like to learn some fundamentals of project management. Because Mm -hmm. what we do, you know, everybody needs to know that. Now, it would be very difficult for the manager to say, no, you can't do that when he's asked him to help this person. Right. Okay, so he gets opportunity to do that, he is now building his profile, he is now being recognized for his expertise. Mm -hmm. And now this begins to give him a basis to deal with some other things. And in fact, he can then talk with his manager about issues of productivity, how that could improve, and then talk about wouldn't it be nice if people treated each other with respect? Yeah,
0: Wow. then we
1: can move into that.
0: Love that. That's a great example. Thank you for sharing that so much. And I th- I think we can all learn from that lesson, just in our own, um, in our own professional lives and personal lives too, really. Uh, what do you think about it, regardless of where we're at in our careers, whether we're in healthcare or not? But that's yeah, that's amazing. The work you're doing is amazing. We only have a couple minutes left, unfortunately. Yeah. So I hate to cut the conversation short, but I want people to be able to find you. Frank and reach out to you in Safe Haven um, if they want to d- dive further into this for themselves.
1: Well, they can find me on Safe Haven Dialogues LLC.com. Safe Haven Dialogues LLC.com.
0: And is your book also a part of that? The, the, the website? Book,
1: yes. Okay. There. I must Good. warn them, actually, interestingly enough, uh, we will be putting out a second edition of the book shortly after we have, because we've gotten a lot of feedback, Good. and the feedback has been too, that the, the the title, you sort of have to get into it.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And uh, people have come up with shorter titles in which they've said, you know, use this shorter title, and then a subtitle that explains reframing to address systemic discrimination. So we're doing that as well as we're adding to the back cover some endorsements that we've gotten, et cetera. Uh, we just actually submitted it to the uh, uh, the publishers uh, today. So I hope that hopefully by September you know, uh, that will be out, but the present book is available uh, on uh, Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble. It's awesome. and the content is totally unchanged so okay. uh, whether you buy this or the the new mm-hmm. version unfortunately because it has a new title uh, it is treated as a new book and okay. there will be a statement in there that it's you know it's just a new version just
0: a new title <laughs> <It's> a new <laughs> sounds title. good Well thank you so so much for being here. It really never feels like there's enough time to have these conversations with my guests on this show. I could literally talk to everybody a lot longer than I actually do. In fact, it's really hard for me to um, to narrow the episode down um, because I know that people bring so much value to the table here, and, and I appreciate each and every individual's um, experiences and stories that they bring. So when you get a chance please check out Frank's website. I highly encourage you look at his work and his story as it pertains to equity, inclusion and individual engagement. I really feel like this could be a turning point for many individuals and organizations that are having um, issues in the areas of stress, and discrimination and how we can tackle it by reframing the problem and also focusing on solutions. So thank you again for checking this episode out. And if you have time and you feel inclined, please subscribe to the show, share it with at least one person you know, and also leave a review on the podcast platform that you listen to. That would mean the world to me. And that's what gives me the opportunity to bring you this podcast um, every couple of weeks to your listening ears. Thank you so much for your continued support. And until next time, remember to stay well and to stay happy.